So today I'm sharing a conversation with Renata Vanayan. Renata is a successful Dutch artist and a published writer now living in Spain. She's internationally exhibited and sold her art for over 35 years and has published eight books since 2010. And you are going to love hearing from her. She's convinced that art in all of its forms can create wellness and make people feel better. And in our conversation today, Renata is sharing about two turning points in her life. One being when she fell in love with a functioning alcoholic and the other being when after 12 years of living with and enabling him, she got her life back. So sit back and enjoy Renata's inspiring story. You're listening to The Inspired Way, stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week, you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact, and together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Well, hello there. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be here today and introduce you to my friend Renata Vanayan. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. Wow. This is going to be great. So to start us off, tell everyone where you are currently residing and calling in from. Yeah, well, I am Dutch, so I was Dutch born, but I am here in Spain now, in the south of Spain, in a tiny seaside village called La Herradura, which is in the Costa Tropical. Oh my goodness. Oh boy, yeah. that just sounds heavenly. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Awesome. Yes. So I understand that you're an artist. Why don't you tell us a little about that and how that came about for you and the beginning of your story? Okay. Yeah. Well, my mother told me when I was one and a half, if I was crying or something, she would give me a piece of paper and a pencil and I would be quiet. So I've all, as long as I can remember, I've been drawing and, and later I started painting. I actually did start a little painting group for a while, but it was for me, it was a hobby because my father told me, you can't make money with art. So why don't you go to secretary school, which I did. That was really, really helpful because now I type really fast and I became a writer later on. But I, I saw myself as a hobby hobbyist and but after my school after I did some traveling I did work as a secretary was good at it and I hated it and I was really depressed I actually sought help of professionals just wasn't happy and then I thought well I do love languages why don't I go to Italy to study Italian the plan was to then move to France to study France but it never really happened because I went to Italy fell in love with Italy I did learn the language and I was always painting and drawing. And then this art teacher saw me and he said, Sei un artista. And that means you're an artist. And I was a bit like, mm, really? And he invited me to come a year later to this art festival. So it was a little festival in this village. And I could have an exhibition space there for three weeks, I think it was. It's 
quite a while ago. I was 26 or 27. Um, and they gave me this beautiful, in this old ancient building. And they said, well, there you can stay. And I could stay in a family. They would host me. It was all like for free. It was just amazing. Wow. So, yeah, I, I went back to the Netherlands and I didn't have a studio and I could paint in a studio with an abstract artist. And I was in that time painting really realistic, a bit like Dali, surreal. That was really my style. And she says, that, why don't you free up yourself a bit, work a bit with a big brush and free yourself up. And I did that. And then I had an exhibition of all my work because I created quite a few paintings in that year sold most of those paintings, had enough money to go to Italy for at least a year. And that's what I did. So I went to Italy, had my exhibition, and I wasn't a professional artist. People bought my art. I started doing some ceramic there. I worked for the ceramic guy as well. So I learned how to do ceramics. And it was a beautiful life. I fell in love with an Italian, but three years later, I fell out of love. So that was too good. And I had to go back to the Netherlands. Now in the Netherlands back then, I wanted to get into the art circuit. And that was not easy because I didn't have a piece of paper. I didn't have my academy paper. Well, I hadn't been to an academy. But there was a scheme called VIC. It doesn't really matter what that stands for. But it was a committee who would judge artists. And if they were good enough, they sort of were accepted into this scheme. And that also meant for the, for the galleries that I was a serious artist and accepted. And that's wow. also when I accepted myself as a professional artist. Anyway, a few wow. years later, I always liked writing. This was pre-internet, pre-emails. I always... Uh, yeah, sorry. I, well, I just want to interrupt yeah. there and just highlight the beginning <laughs> of that story. How yeah. you went, because I think so many of us start out with parents or someone else who loves us, mm. steering us down the realistic, you know, go do X, Y, and Z because you can't make money pursuing your passion, go this yeah. way instead. And they love us. They're trying to protect us. But what I heard from your story is not only were you not happy going that route, but you were kind of depressed. You, you really were not you, you anything but thriving at that time pursuing that route and yeah. then you you kind of kept moving it sounds like and fell back into what was always your passion yes that first yeah. passion anyway <laughs> I know you're going to yes. tell us about your second passion yes I was in my early 20s I did try to write I just can't because it was and then this and then that and I thought I can't write well, many years later, when I came back from Italy, this was, I was 33 by then, and I was doing some part-time work in this little coffee bar, and there was a journalist that I befriended, he became a good friend, and he challenged me because I told him, oh, I'd love to write, but I don't know, I don't really know, and he, was, he loved books, he loved literature. So he challenged me, he said, why don't you write short stories, and in three weeks, you write five stories, just do it. And he said, eroticism sells, so maybe she should do that. Anyway, I went back home. I clearly remember I sat on my balcony and, I, and it just came and it just flew. And I, I love writing really short stories, like 
very short. Anyway, so then I decided to go to the UK to write, to just have a little writing holiday. And I ended up in this small seaside village and I met my then ex, an Englishman. And he was a really intelligent, really funny man, but he was an alcoholic. And he told me he was an alcoholic. And I thought, well, I'm Florence Nightingale. I'm going to save him. I was 40 by then. So I had a very independent life before that, but I thought I'm going to save him. So he came to the Netherlands and then three years later, we decided to move to Spain together. So I actually came to Spain with this man and he was a functioning binge drinking alcoholic. And I don't know if people know what that means, but functioning, yeah, so a functioning, a functioning alcoholic, they call someone who can keep a job, who can sort of keep up the appearances. And binge drink is usually that they can be without drinking maybe for a week. He could easily not drink for a week or even longer and then suddenly lost it. And that it was just a binge, binge drinking. And anyway, I discovered that side of him. It wasn't easy at all. And when we moved to Spain, he found a job. He was a teacher. He was an English teacher and a brilliant one. He also worked as a teacher in the Netherlands. Um, But I I became sort of the, they call that the codependency. I became the helper. I was trying to save him. I was trying to, uh, for example, when he sometimes he just went to the park, he didn't go to his class. And then the school would phone me and say, uh, where is he? Where's your partner? And I said, "Uh, oh, he's he's ill and he's asleep. I can't really get him on the phone. I'm so sorry. I should have phoned you. So I was making excuses what a lot of people do. But anyway, it was difficult. It wasn't easy. Uh, The only thing is I needed to talk about my problems. I'm a talker. So I did that. And anyway, we moved to Spain. It was a roller coaster because he could easily go without a drink for three, four months. And then we were really happy. We had a beautiful relationship. We loved so much. And I really loved him big time. But then he fell back again and it was horrible. And We started in the north of Spain and then moved to the south of Spain. And to get into the Spanish art circuit was difficult. So I also started working as a translator from Dutch to English. And he was my proofreader. So we also became even more entwined, so to speak. And six years later, I was, it was too difficult. And it was also a moment. And this is quite a painful moment because he stood, we were working at home on our computers and he stood behind me and he wasn't even drunk and he held a cup of tea above my head and he said I so want to pour this over your head boiling tea I'm not going to do it because then you can seek help everybody loves you again and and so it was a very sick kind of thing but I knew then already I think that was all projection he wanted the help but he didn't want to seek it so he projected it on me And I became, he he called me the loser that he probably thought he was sort of, Mm -hmm. that's how I saw it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when we split up, we stayed in Spain, but we continued working together. We continued to be very close friends. We, he moved to another house. I moved to another house. So we, we sort of split up, but we worked together. And that was by that time, we could already do everything by, uh, by computer. We made good enough money to survive, so that was good. And I did have some exhibitions as well. I still did my art. Uh, and it was it was kind of okay. And, and I also, yeah, I should say that when I split up, I joined an English writing group. 
And that was really good for me. I loved writing and I loved what writing did for me. And I finished my first book with short stories. So the, the stories that I had written initially in Dutch, I translated into English and I published my first book called Secret Thoughts. But I still didn't really consider myself as a full-time writer or something. It was just fun and it was fun to be in that writing group. And then my ex kind of, he stayed in my life and because he was a binge drinking alcoholic, he wouldn't, he kind of was able to keep his job, but every weekend and every holiday, everything collapsed again and he, he lost his home and I always said oh you can stay with me you can sleep on the sofa mm -hmm. so we were really not a couple but we're, I helped him out so he slept on my sofa I also paid for everything which happens a lot in with codependency. the codependency mm -hmm. yeah anyway so he stayed with me a lot and I talked to people and then one day I'm not 100% sure how that came but I decided to interview other people about their experiences and for a book and the book that was amazing. It just wrote itself. I was, I remember I was giving an art class because I became an art teacher as well in 2006. And there was a lady and she was trembling a bit. And she says, oh, you probably think I'm an alcoholic. And I said, funny that you're saying that because I'm interviewing people who have lived with an alcoholic because that was my, my main goal, people who lived with an alcoholic. The reason being, I feel they're so not seen. And of course you have you can go to Al-Anon, which is people who, that's the organization who helps people who live with an alcoholic. But if you're not there yet, you feel really isolated and lonely and society is not giving, they, they talk about the alcoholic, the alcoholic, that is such a problem. And they portray the alcoholic as someone who's sitting in the street with a brown bag with alcohol and they have documentaries about that. But I've yet to see, they probably will be there, but I've yet to see a documentary about people who live with an alcoholic, which is a huge group because three in five people will be affected in their life by an alcoholic, be that a parent, be that a brother, wow. a family member, a grandparent, a neighbor, a good friend. And wow. I'm kind of upset about it that alcohol is still so easily available and I have to say I'm not against alcohol and I even can now, I have moved on. My partner and I stayed together for 12 years in total. And then I moved on and I've now married a really lovely Spanish avocado farmer <laughs> and we drink Aww. occasionally a glass of wine, but it's, it's no, there's no drama drinking. Let's call it that way. <laughs> and, but anyway, when, just before my ex and I, the Englishman split up, I interviewed all these people and people just came to me. They said, oh, I heard you writing this book and my partner is an alcoholic or my mother was an alcoholic and it really affected me. And I interviewed in total 40 people throughout Europe. And this was because where I live, it's a very cosmopolitan little village where there's people from all over the place. From, I've interviewed people from Norway, from Denmark, Ireland, the Netherlands, Spain, Germany, it was amazing. Wow. And I also was invited to go to an AA meeting. And I then was able to also interview, I think there were five in total, alcoholics, recovering alcoholics. So I decided also to interview a few people who work with alcoholics. So it turned out to be a really holistic book with lots of information, in the end, also a little bit of information. But mm -hmm. I wrote all the stories with permission. Everybody approved of their story. 
in the first person. So it's actually a storytelling book. Wow. And the, the thing is, it, I finished it in three months. But what I didn't really realize was that, and I'd like to give that as an example, because in my art class, there was a lady when I published the book and she bought the book of me. And a week later, she came to my class and she was 71 back then. And she said, oh, Renata, your book really, really touched me. And she started crying a little bit. And I said, oh, no, bless you. Why, God, are you affected by something like this? And she says, yeah, yeah. I said, well, why don't we meet up tomorrow or another day and we go for a cup of coffee, not now in the art class. Oh, would you do that? Yes, please. And so I met up with her and what she said, it stuck with me. And I think this is still to this day a problem. She said, I didn't think my husband was an alcoholic because we can go out in Spain. People go out and meet up and we can go out and he can drink just one glass of wine and be totally fine. Then he drinks water or cola and he's totally fine. And he doesn't, he's not scruffy and he doesn't have a, always a bottle of whiskey with him or something. He's just without alcohol in him. He doesn't start drinking immediately in the morning, but in every evening, Every evening he drinks an entire bottle of whiskey or gin. And then she also said, and a few days ago, he tried to kill me. He tried to choke her. And I was really shocked. And I said, so, oh gosh, what, what would you like to do? Because I'm not a therapist. And I said, what, what would you like to stay with this man for the rest of your life? And she said, well, I feel trapped because I can't go anywhere because he's got, I don't know exactly the exact story but it was something like he could get hold of her money and she was sure he would do that and leave her without a penny yeah and so she was about because they were only here in the winter a lot of people do that they come here to escape the winter in in the UK and a day later she went back to the UK or a few days later and I advised her also to go to the Al-Anon and I said well if I can and may give you some advice sort out your money if you can and then a year later, she came back and she was still with her husband. And she took me apart and she says, thank you so much. The book really did help me. And I did go to the Alamon and I did sort out my money. He can't touch it anymore. She says, wow. I choose to stay with him because I still love him. But I now have tools to deal with it. I thought if sometimes they say, if you can only save one person, then your job's done on earth. <laughs> well, I think I did that yeah. with that lady. However, I feel after that, a few, I'm not the best marketer. I can talk, I, I can talk easily about this book, but I'm so passionate about it. And I'm still frustrated that it's still so normal when, when you turn on the TV, switch, switch off the TV, on, on, switch on. You can see still in soap series, certainly here in Europe and in the UK, I presume also in the US, there's always alcohol, there's always a glass of wine, there's always, and I think that really publicity, they portray alcohol still as a nice social lubricant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. I really, I, that still upsets me, even though my life isn't about that anymore. What I want to, in the, I'm in the process of setting that up, is a, is a, a special group related to, so where I'd like to teach art it will be an art and writing group for women i want to keep it women because of the dynamic only women who have lived or still live with an alcoholic and want a safe space and it will be sort of a, a group 
where I then will also teach tips and tricks to get away from your thinking. So I'm not a therapist. I don't pretend to be one. There are specific groups for that. There's also groups to, there's a lot of groups on Facebook, for example. And if you've never heard of them, you might want to look them up. For example, there's one called Partners of Alcoholics. And people can just get it all out there. Just say, oh my God, he did this. And I found him next to the bath or lying in his own vomit. And then other people make suggestions like, oh, maybe you, sh you shouldn't do anything. Just leave him there. He should wake up. I mean, there's all these things that also you can learn in Al-Anon. I would recommend Al-Anon to everybody. But I'm a little bit on a mission and I've created, I'm starting a YouTube channel about the subject. I will talk more about it. And I think I'm even now contemplating creating a podcast to ask talk people to it. talk about this. Yeah. And I want to create a safe space for people who'd like to explore their inner creativity with art and writing, because the moment you do that, you're away from your problems. And that might not be for everybody, but this will be a space for a group who is in that situation and who would like to do that. So it won't be a get everything off your chest. Let's create together. But yeah. we understand each other. We understand why we why are you still with the alcoholic? We understand why it's so difficult to get away. I understand so. that creative expression can be very therapeutic just because it's an outlet for expressing exactly. yourself. Exactly. It, it awesome. kept me sane. It kept me yeah. sane during my years with my alcoholic, yeah. I was going to say it seems almost like a self-perpetuating, not self, but like a feeding itself kind of a cycle if an alcoholic is constantly, at least verbally, badgering and beating at their partner and deflating them, you're never going to have the confidence, I guess, or the self-worth to not only feel like you're worth better, but to have the confidence to get out of the situation you're in. That exactly. I'm just guessing that that's got to be what keeps so many women trapped yes. because they can't they're constantly being fed this abuse that makes them feel unworthy well, and yeah, then totally not able to that's that's exactly what happens to a lot of people i feel and some don't even realize it because this is something that happens in every layer of society there's a lot of I mean, for the book I interviewed also, and even after I had written the book, come really close friends with, a, with she's a lawyer, mm -hmm. and her husband, which she did split up with, he was a lawyer, mm -hmm. still working, and he was a total alcoholic, but a really, really severe. He couldn't function without alcohol. My binge drinking functioning alcoholic was not drinking. He would go to work sober, but he would drink when he had weekends and holidays. But her husband would always drink and he had oh. the tremors and he was, he had all sorts of accidents and horrible things happening to him, but he was still a lawyer and a lady in my book, one of the stories in the book, she was, uh, and her husband was a lawyer and her, his family, his family uh, told her, oh, don't be such a bore. Why are you, let him have his drink, let him just be, but they didn't, I mean, her story wow. is so profound, so profound. And he died. He actually wow. died at a very young age of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. And so it's so misunderstood. It's so often seen as a problem. When most people, when they think of an alcoholic, they think of this guy who sits outside the supermarket with a dog or lift at the homeless yeah. 
guy or woman because it's actually not just man there's a lot of women alcoholic and in my there's another story and I really I don't know maybe (laughs) because I felt so touched by these stories and one woman she or it was a man actually he told me about his mother and I with his permission I tell his story and then I tell his mother's story in the first person his mother died years ago but he gave me permission to do that. And he told me that his mother was a teacher. This was in the 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s. She was brilliant. They had a, a good business and she was a teacher. They had a big family, lots of children. She was the most wonderful woman. And then menopause hit her quite early. And she became what later he thought was schizophrenic. She started hearing voices and she was. She felt like people were following her. And so she went to the doctor and the doctor told her, why don't you take a glass of sherry and cigarettes? And she became a full-blown alcoholic. Oh my gosh. And then in her story, for example, I start, oh, I hear these voices. I don't understand it. And and someone is following me, but I don't know where to go. I said, and, you know, so I I tried to get into her skin, what it must have been for her. And wow. I, I think these are profound things and people don't realize that it's yeah. that it can be triggered. It can be yeah. triggered by yeah. events in your life, by trauma, by boredom. It can be. And I know for a fact, because I looked into that a little bit now in during the COVID and all the facts that we have to stay at home, there's so much the, the I don't know the abuse figures by memory, but the abuse figures have skyrocketed alcohol sales have skyrocketed mm-hmm. and yeah it's awful oh i can only imagine what it's like for people who live with with an alcoholic yeah. it's awful both for men and women it's not just uh, it's not just women who suffer or not men so, who suffer from alcoholism would you say your best piece of advice for anyone hearing this that might you know other than reading the book for more more advice would it be you know just reach out to Al-Anon or some other kind of support group first, like as a first step. Yeah, I would do that. Yes. If you want to read my book, yes, that would, I think it will help you to see a mirror. And in the end of the book, I also give some tips where to go for help and how -hmm. you can, how do you know someone is an alcoholic and how you can recognize a delirium, which can be really dangerous. But I mean, if you don't want to buy the book, fine, find help. Go to Al-Anon if you can. I'm sure there are now online groups. And also they have Alatim, I think it's called, for teens, so who have yeah. alcoholic parents. If you know, for example, if you have teenage children and they suffer from your partner being an alcoholic, yeah. talk to them about that. But talk, talk to people. You've got to talk. But, I mean, this is also something. I mean, yeah, it's Al-Anon. It's anonymous. It's AA, anonymous. Alatim, anonymous. In a sense, I understand that because you want to feel safe and it's nice to be in a safe group where everybody understands you. But when you think about it, it's actually also telling in society, you have to be ashamed. Mm. You better not tell anybody. You better be anonymous. And it's a double thing, which I don't know. But if you are in this situation, please, yeah, do get help. 
even on Facebook, find these groups, mm -hmm. Google partners of alcoholics, alcoholics or women with alcoholic, you know, there's, you look for what would feel good for you because there's different types. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's just good to check that out and ch so see what other people say. But yeah, if you do want to, my book, you are welcome. Of course, it's available so on Amazon. Uh, I was going to say, where and how can people find out more about you? Your website yeah. is Renata's World. Is that it? Well, oh. if no, if you okay. type into Google Renata's World, it's R E N A R T S. So Ren Arts. Art. Got it. Renata Arts World altogether. Then uh -huh. you get a lot of pop ups. My website is www.renatafanaya.com. And I also have a separate website for the book, which is called Cheers, Breaking the Silence, One Voice at a Time. So there's different ways to find me, but you can find that on my website as well. Yeah. Fabulous. It, and, yeah. Fabulous. Well, we'll include all of that in the show notes. So oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Nobody has to take notes while they're driving or no. whatever, listening to us. No. <laughs> but thank you so much. This has been really oh. enlightening. And I can tell this is a topic you're really passionate about. And I think I you're helping. Well, obviously, you mentioned a few people you know you've helped. I think yeah. probably anyone who's picking up the book is finding value and being helped by you sharing your voice. So yes. thank, thank you for uh, sharing it with us. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank okay. you so much for the opportunity, CJ. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. yeah, love, love your energy. And yeah. Always really great nice. speaking with you. Those of you tuning in, thank you so much for being with us and for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. This is the final interview of our first season. And I hope you found value and enjoyed it as much as we have all enjoyed sharing these everyday heroine stories and bringing real life inspiration to you. If you haven't yet, please consider leaving us a great review. It'll help us reach and serve more women. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in the future, please email us at theinspiredwave at gmail.com and we will be back in the fall with season two. Have a great summer. <laughs>